You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. This has been an incredible start uh, to the new year. Uh, 2019 is off to a, a great start. I know that we're, we're still uh, very early in the year, but I'm just so thankful for God, how God has worked over the last several weeks. We have had more first-time guests over these last couple of months uh, than I would have ever dreamed that we'd have. And if you are here and, and you're one of our guests that you came for the first time and you've been coming back, uh, let me just first say thank you so much. The reason that we went to two services was to make more room uh, for our friends and neighbors uh, to come and be with us. And so you're helping that be worthwhile. Our volunteers are putting in the extra effort. Um, it's taking, it takes a lot more coordination and a lot more communication and a lot extra effort. And so uh, for, for you to be here gives worth, gives value to the things that they're doing. And so thank you for that. Um, because so many of you, you've, you've been coming back, I hope that you feel right at home. And hopefully the messages that I've been sharing over the last couple of weeks speak right to where you're at. But today's message is going to be a little different. So I, I want to give you like two challenges, uh, just two words of encouragement before I get into the message. First of all, if you're one of our first-time guests, you've been coming back here in the beginning of the year, let me encourage you to just keep coming back and master the art of coming back. Master the art of showing up. Uh, and the fact that you're here on the early, during the early service on Spring Forward Sunday shows that you're headed in that direction. And the reason I tell you to master the, the art of showing up is because when we continue to show up, God will continue to work in our hearts and lives. I can say that with confidence because what Scripture tells me is that God is fully committed to our sanctification. And sanctification is just a big church word for progress or growth as it relates to the Christian life. As we get closer to God, He makes these changes in us, and that's what we call sanctification. And we know that this is near the heart of God because when Jesus was in his final moments with the disciples in the Last Supper, you know, before he's about to be uh, arrested and put on the cross, he prays. And when Jesus prays, he says these words in John 17, 17. Sanctify them. He's praying for the disciples. Sanctify them through thy truth. So Jesus is praying to his Father. He's praying to God, sanctify them. When Jesus had a moment to pray for the disciples in the last days that he would be with them before the cross. He prayed that they would be sanctified. So that is near to the heart of God. That's what Jesus wants for us. So if we keep showing up, God will continue to work in hearts and lives. The second thing I want to say to you is that today's message may be less direct for you because it's all about renewal. And if you're new, a message on renewal doesn't really seem to fit, right? Because you're already new. But I want you to think about it this way, all right? Imagine if a young couple gets married, and their friends and family are there for the wedding ceremony, and the wedding is beautiful and gorgeous, the reception is great, everybody talks about how what a wonderful wedding it was, the couple goes off on a honeymoon, they come back on Friday from their honeymoon, and they call all of their friends and family that was at the wedding the previous Saturday, and they say, listen, we want you to come back to the church this Saturday, because we are going to renew our vows, that would seem a little odd because they just got married a week ago for them to be renewing their vows. It would kind of make us think, that, is there a problem? Like, do they need to already renew these vows? And so it might be that where you're at right now, because you're new in your relationship with Christ or you're new in coming to church, renewal isn't really what you need to hear. However, imagine that young couple, they go on their honeymoon, they've had that beautiful wedding, they go on their honeymoon, they come back on Friday, and then on the following Saturday, someone in their distant 
circle of friends or relatives, there's a couple, an older couple, that's celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. And on their 50th wedding anniversary, they're going to renew their vows. And so they go to that ceremony. And it would be appropriate for them to be there and watch this, this older couple that's been together for all of these years to renew their vows. In fact, it would be even more important to them because they're new in their marriage, it would be more important to them to learn something in those moments. And so if you're new today, my message is really going to be talking about those of us that have been walking with Jesus for a while, being renewed in our relationship with Him. But if you're new, there's something for you to learn this morning. Now, the reason that we're talking about renewal is that last week we looked at Lent as a season of repentance. Today we're looking at Lent as a season of renewal because when we focus on the cross, we focus on the work of Jesus for us, It renews our passion, our zeal for him. When we look at what God did for us, it sparks that that passion that we have once again. You know, right now we're in a season of spring where the sun is coming back, right? The days are getting longer. We just just went forward an hour, so it's going to get dark even later. It's going to feel like things are starting to warm up. The trees are going to start to green up. The plants are going to start to bud forth. And last week we talked about the, the seed that's planted in the spring, crossing that line where it's no longer a seed and it becomes a plant. We talked about how when we turn from our sin and repentance, there, we cross this line where we become a follower of Christ. And we had this idea of a seed being planted and becoming a plant and then going to harvest in the fall. And that's what happens with an annual plant, a plant that you plant every year. You plant it in the spring, it grows through the summer, and then it brings forth its fruit or the end of its cycle in the fall. But what about a perennial? A perennial is a plant that you plant once and it keeps coming back year after year. It it endures many winter seasons. It endures many seasons of difficulty. The same happens for those perennial plants too. For those trees that have been there in that spot for decades, as the spring comes, as it begins to become more light and warmer, they spring back too. And what happens is during the winter, they go into a period of dormancy. And I don't know a whole lot about plants. I'm, I'm no farmer. I'm no gardener. Um, so I read a little bit about dormancy. And I, I want to read just a couple of things about dormancy. The term dormancy refers to a perennial plant's state of temporary metabolic inactivity or minimal activity. In other words, it's like hibernation for a plant or a tree. Plants generally go dormant in response to adverse growing conditions, such as when trees or garden plants go dormant during the cold winter months. And it's important to remember that the plants, they're not dead during this time. But while the outgrowth or the above-ground foliage or the leaves may die back, and this is the phrase I want you to hear, in a dormant plant, life still lurks in the roots and in the core of the plant. And the reason I want you to hear that is because I think that there may be some of you here this morning that you came to know Jesus a long time ago, You came to become a follower of Christ, but then you entered into a cold snap. You entered into a period of a winter. You entered into a time in your life where it was adverse growing conditions, and you became dormant. And there have been fewer and fewer signs of the work of Christ in your life, and that outgrowth, that foliage has has dropped off, and there's been no growth. Because the other thing that that article said is that there's no growth during dormancy, only conservation. It's all about just surviving, 
just holding on. And it may be that you're here this morning and that's where you're at. You are dormant. There is still life that lurks in the roots. There's still life that lurks in the core of who you are. God is still with you, but there's been no growth. There's been no progress. There is this dwindling sign of effect of the work of Christ in your life. And you've become withdrawn. And you've become numb to the outside conditions. That's what happens when a tree it goes dormant. It be, puts up this barrier, this, this, this safety against the adverse conditions, against the winter. It's conserving everything deep in its core. And that might be where you're at. And I want you to realize that if that's where you're at today, that this season of Lent and this season of repentance, this season of renewal is the time for you to spring back to life. For you to break out of your dormancy. For you to break out of the winter and enter the spring. Psalm 51, which will be in just a moment, was written by David. And I want you to get a hold of why David wrote this psalm. This is a poem or a song. David's a musician and he writes this song out of this experience that he has. He writes it out of a time in his life where he makes a fatal mistake. He messes up royally. He messes up big time. And if you look back at the situation that brought this about in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 2 Samuel chapter 12, you'll see that David was in a dormancy period in his spiritual life. And I'm going to go out. We can't read all of the passage right now, but I'm just going to go over some of the things that happened to David in this moment. And I think that there'll be indicators of dormancy for us that maybe in this you'll see something that you can relate to. The first indicator of dormancy that we see in David's life is that he was unmoved by what used to challenge him. What used to get his blood boiling didn't really seem like a big deal anymore. Because the very beginning of 2 Samuel chapter 11 tells us that when it came time for the kings to go to war, that David remained in Jerusalem. Now here's what's crazy about that to me. David is the young boy who fought Goliath. And what happened when David fought Goliath is he was too young to be in the fight. He was too young to be in the army. And his father sent him to carry provisions and supplies to his older brothers who were big enough and old enough to fight. And when he got there, he found that all of the Israelites were standing on one side of the valley and all of the Philistines, their enemy, were standing on the other side of the valley and they were just looking at each other. And there was this champion from the Philistines who would wander into the valley every day and he would mock the Israelites and challenge one of them to come and fight him. And no one was brave enough to fight. And David could not stand that everybody just stood back and did nothing so much that even though he was a teenager, even though he wasn't young enough to be in the fight yet, he said, I'll fight the giant. And he was moved, he was challenged enough that he said, I'll fight if nobody else will. But when we come to 2 Samuel 11 because this is in this period of dormancy, because there's this this deadness, because there's this coldness in him, when his men, his generals, and his mighty men of valor go out to fight, David stays at home. And it might be that right now you're in a period of dormancy, and the thing that used to get you excited, the thing that used to get you passionate, it's not a big deal to you. It doesn't doesn't move you. Like, I've seen that before. It's the same old, same old. It's the same thing every year. That's a, that's, a, that's a sign that there's this dormancy that's in you. So the indicator of dormancy is that the things that used to challenge you doesn't challenge you anymore. It doesn't get you moving. The second sign of dormancy is that you find yourself crossing lines you never imagined you'd cross. What happens in 2 Samuel 11 is that David is at home when he should be at war, and he's, he's up in the middle of the night, 
walking on his rooftop there at his palace, and he looks and he sees this woman bathing on her roof. And David calls for her. And one of David's servants says, hey, isn't this the wife of Uriah? Now, Uriah is one of David's men of valor who's out in the fight. So Uriah is off fighting the battle. David's at home, and David takes his wife and sleeps with her. And then she becomes pregnant. David ends up having Uriah killed because he's trying to cover up his sin. And I'm sure that David never imagined that he would find himself in a place where he is going to take another man's wife and then have one of his men of valor, one of his soldiers killed. But he finds himself crossing lines that he never would have imagined he crossed because of this period of dormancy that he's in. And when we're not growing with Christ, when we're not experiencing his work in our lives, when we have grown cold to the work of God in our hearts and lives, we will find ourselves crossing lines that we never thought that we would cross. And then what happens after that is that we develop the skill of covering up our sin. Because if we're crossing lines we never thought that we'd cross, suddenly we have things to cover up, and so we're getting very good at covering those things up. When David finds out that this woman is pregnant with his child, he actually calls for Uriah, his soldier, to come home so that it will seem that it's his child. But the soldier, because he's a noble man more noble than David in this case, he will not go home and sleep in his bed with his wife while his men, his soldiers, are fighting in the fields. So he sleeps out on the road. He sleeps out in the street. He sleeps out with the guards because he feels that's only appropriate while his men are in the battlefield for him to sleep outside. So David calls Uriah up to the palace the very next evening, has a feast, gets Uriah drunk, gives him plenty of wine so that he's drunk so that when he goes home, he'll cross those lines that David's already crossed those lines of morality and honor, but Uriah still does not go home. And so when Uriah goes back to the battle, David sends in Uriah's own hand the message to the general, put Uriah at the very front of the battle so that he'll die. David has developed this web of conspiracy to kill this man because he's getting really good at covering up his sin. And our guilt knows no bounds of ingenuity. When we are... In our sin and in our guilt, we will cover it up with every means possible. And the lines that David crossed just propelled him to cross more lines. God's not happy with what David has done. So God sends his man, his prophet named Nathan, to go and confront David. He brings the message of the Lord, but he gives David a story first. He tells David, he says, listen, king, I need you to hear the story about two men who live in our kingdom. One man had a, a one lamb, one sheep that he kept, and it was almost like a family pet. The children loved this lamb. And his neighbor was a rich man with many flocks of cattle, and the rich man had a, an acquaintance come by, and the rich man said, let me make a feast for you. And when he went out to his field, instead of looking at his herds of cattle that he had, that he could kill for his guest, he saw his neighbor's one only lamb. And he took and he killed that lamb and he fed it to his guest. David hears this story and he is incensed. He is furious. He said, this man must die because he is stolen from someone. And Nathan looks at him and he says, David, you are the man. You are the man who has done this. God has blessed you with so much in your life, but here you have taken the wife of Uriah. You've stolen from him and then you've stolen his life. And what's crazy about this moment is that David, in the midst of his sin, 
wants to bring swift justice upon this man who's stolen this lamb in the story. The fourth indicator of our dormancy is that we will judge others harshly while giving ourselves a free pass. You ever been there? You can, you can see the sin in everybody else's life except your own. You can see what everybody else needs to do, the change that needs to happen in everybody else's heart and life, except for your own heart and life. You can't see it in your own heart and life. And that's where David is at. Because he's in this period of dormancy, because he's in this period where he is far from God and he is not listening to the leading of the Spirit, he's ready to judge someone else harshly, to bring about swift justice on them, but he's not concerned with his own sin. Nathan says, you are the man. Nathan is God's prophet. He delivers God's message. And the truth is that everyone needs a man like Nathan in their life. I figured at this point Ashley was going to say amen from the back because her husband is Nathan. But everybody needs a prophet in their life. Everyone needs someone that will tell them the truth, even if it's not easy to hear. Nathan is known for bringing two messages. He did a lot in his life as a prophet, but there are two main things that he's known for in Scripture, and both of them are times that he had to deliver bad news to the king. You know, when God had called me to preach, I did not view it as, all right, I got a life full of giving people bad news. But there are times that that's exactly what I'm called to do, deliver bad news. And Nathan looks at David and he says, you are the man. And this morning, if God's calling you out, if Scripture is calling you out, then I need to look at you and I need to say, you are the man. You are the woman. Lent is a season that we look to the cross. We look to Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And Easter is an occasion of hope because Christ rose from the grave. But the cross is an occasion of guilt because the reason that Jesus died on that cross is my guilt. It's my sin. When we sing about Jesus paying it all, he's paying for my sin. He's paying for my shame. He's paying for the things that I have done. It's for my sins. And what Scripture does when we focus on the cross is it brings our sin out into the light. It brings our sin out before us. What Nathan did in this moment is he tells David this story so that he can bring David's sin out into the light. And the very best thing that can happen to us is that God brings our sin out into the light, brings our sin out before us so that we can't deny it any longer. A couple generations ago, one of our associate justices in the Supreme Court said that sunlight is the very best disinfectant. Because when it's brought out into the light, when the crime is brought out into the light, it is done away with, it is eradicated. But we love to live in the dark. We love to live in hiding. David thought he had done this thing in secret and that he'd covered his sin, but God brought it out into the light. And the light and the heat of that conviction and that condemnation is what spurs David to write Psalm 51. The reason that he writes this poem is because of his great sin that has been brought out into the light by the prophet Nathan. So let's look at Psalm 51 and verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly, thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. 
Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inwardmost parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. God, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Let's look down at verse 16. Thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. Thou wilt not despise. David is moved by his sin being brought into the light. He's moved and he writes these words. And when our sin is brought out into the light, when the Holy Spirit begins to point out things in your heart and in your life, the Holy Spirit begins to pull things out from those places that you hid them in your heart and mind, those places where you tried to suppress them, those places you put them when you tried to pretend that they didn't happen or that you didn't say that or you didn't take that or you didn't do that. When He pulls it out into the sunlight, He pulls it out in the light of day, we realize our sin. And what is it that David says here? He says, I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. And when we feel the weight of our sin, when we see what it is that we have done against God, everywhere we look, there's our sin. Everywhere we turn, there's our sin before us. And then David says in verse 5, Behold, I was shaped in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me. He's saying, it's in my nature to do the wrong thing. And when we see our sin before us, it's easy for us to recognize, I do this all the time. It is my default mode. It is what is normal for me. It is natural for me to do the wrong thing. And what Scripture teaches us is that we are not only sinners by our actions, by the things that we do and the things that we say, but rather we're also sinners by our nature. That it is in us in our bones. It wants to come out the sin that we're constantly giving ourselves to. It's in us. And this is why it is so dangerous for us to live in a place of dormancy. Why it's so dangerous for us to live in a place where we're not growing. Because if there is no forward momentum, if there is no forward progress, our natural tendency will be to go back towards our sin. There is no standing still. There is no, I'm just going to take a break for a while. We're either moving closer to Him or we are fading away from Him. David said, it is in me to do the wrong thing. Because of our nature, because of our natural inclination to do the wrong thing, conservation can only last so long. And if you stay dormant and you don't wake up in the light and the heat of spring, you don't wake up in the light and the heat of God's Spirit convicting you, you don't wake up in the light and the heat of God's preacher preaching the Word to you, if you don't wake up and there's no forward momentum, you're just going to fade back. If you went down to Evansville Regional Airport and you hopped on a plane to anywhere, 
And the pilot came over the intercom and he said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm afraid to tell you that we're, our engine is failing. You know you're in trouble. Because without forward momentum, the natural inclination of that airplane is to fall. And it might be able to glide for a little bit, but it's not going to go very far. It's not built for that. It is built, built for constant propulsion, jet propulsion, forcing it farther into the sky. And if the engine dies, it stops flying. And with us, if we stop growing, we start, stop moving closer to the Lord, it is our natural inclination to fall prey to the gravity of our own sin and of this world and the nature of what is in us and all around us. And we'll fall to the earth. If we lay dormant, if there is no movement, no renewal... We'll fall to the earth in our sin. So what does David do? Does David say, all right, I'm going to knuckle down. I'm going to get serious about this thing, God. I'm going to try harder. No, that's not what David does. And that's not what you need to do. You don't need to walk away from this message today and say, I am a sinner and I just need to try harder. I need, I'm going to double my efforts. 2019 is going to be the year that I stop doing those things. 2019 is going to be the year that I finally get my act together. No. What is it that David says? David does not say, God, I commit that I'm going to stay true. I'm going to do my best. No, he says, wash me, God, from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Purge me with his up and I shall be clean. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me, O God. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. It's not in us. You can't fly on your own. It's only if the work of God is happening within you. So when our sin is brought out before the Lord, when our sin is ever before us, when the Spirit convicts us of the sin within us, that sin of apathy, that sin of anger, that sin of just not caring, that sin of bitterness, we don't need to try harder. We need to give it to Him. And He will wash us and cleanse us and renew a right spirit within us. It's for that reason that those last two verses I had you read. David says, God, you don't desire a sacrifice for me. And a sacrifice was the, the, the religious practice of the temple. If he was going to go be more religious, it would have been the thing for him to do. He says, God, you don't want a sacrifice from me. You want a broken and contrite heart. That's what you want, God. God doesn't want more religion from you. He doesn't want you to double down on your religious practices. Those will come if you return to Him. But He wants you to call out to Him and say, God, wash me. Cleanse me. I am broken over my sin. I am broken over my guilt and my my mess and my need. God, I am ever aware of this sin within me. And remember, this is David the psalmist, the poet, the warrior king of Israel, the one who killed Goliath. He's the one that has to write this because he's the one that's forgotten. And you might have been a warrior king for God's kingdom. You might have been someone who wrote songs to praise the Lord. But you need to be reminded this morning. You need to come out of your dormancy this morning. Because there's no one here No one here who's exempt from this message. 
Because Scripture called David a man after God's own heart, and he fell prey to spiritual dormancy. No one here can, can boast more than David could have. No one here could recount more things they've done for God than David did, but he was the one that was dormant. Real quick, I want, I want to share with you this, this equation that I heard Stephen Carter share. What happens in our life are the events. Those are the things that we do and the things that happen to us. And we think that the outcomes in our life, the way that we end up living, the places that we find ourselves, is all because of the events. And they definitely come to bear, and they definitely play a part but it's the events plus our response that determines the outcome. You know what made David different? What separated David was the way that he responded to this rebuke. The prophet Nathan comes to David and says, you are the man. And David repents. He is renewed. And the difference that will be made here is how you will respond to the Holy Spirit convicting you of your sin, the Holy Spirit calling out to you and pointing out that you are dormant, that you are not growing, that you are not walking in the light of Christ. And as the light and the heat of His Word focuses in on your heart, how will you respond to that? You, will you respond to it like a tree that starts to experience the warmth and the lengthening of days of spring? Or will you lie dormant as if it is still the winter? How do you respond when you think about the light and the heat of Christ dying on the cross? Not just because he had to die a martyr's death, but because he was dying for my sins and for yours. That is my ash, my dust, my sin that put him on the cross. How does your spirit react to that? How do you respond to that event? That will determine the outcome. And God works in the details and the events of our lives, but he invites us and he welcomes us to partner with him. And here he calls out to David and says, David, you have fallen, you have turned from me, you have have fallen from what I've called you to do. And David responds by returning to the Lord. Jesus told his disciples a story. He said that the kingdom of God is like a, a man who has a farm and he plants wheat in his fields. And in the night, an enemy of the farmer comes and he throws the seed of weeds or tares, weeds into the air so that they scatter into his field. And when the crop begins to bud forth, the workers come to the farmer and they say, farmer, someone has planted weeds in the field. Should we tear it all up? And the farmer says, no, because it is hard to distinguish between the weed and the wheat If you pluck it all up now, there will be no doubt some weeds that are missed and some wheat that is plucked up. Leave it. And as the summer passes, it'll become obvious which is which. You see, the difference between a weed and the wheat is that the light and heat of summer produce fruit in the wheat. But they produce nothing in the wheat. And if the light and the heat of the cross and the light and the heat of God's word produces nothing in us, it does not move us, it does not move us to repentance, that is a sign that we are not the wheat, but we are a weed.
So what God does with his cross, what he does with the light and the heat of his word, what he does through the light and heat of Nathan's word of prophecy and revelation to David is he brings about this fruit of repentance in David. And right now, God's calling out to you, and he's convicting you of your sin. He's showing you that you haven't been growing, that you haven't been moving forward, that you've been dormant, and that you are headed down. If you don't respond to him, the light and the heat of the cross does not provoke a reaction in you. It does not bring about a response in you. The outcome is that you are not the wheat, but you are a weed. In 1984... It was an Avianca Airlines flight in Spain that crashed, killing all of the passengers. When investigators got the black box, they played the recording from inside the pulpit. They were alarmed to find that for several minutes before the crash, a warning within the cockpit was saying, pull up, pull up, pull up, pull up. The pilot was convinced that the alarm was malfunctioning. And this Spanish pilot, hearing this English-speaking warning saying, pull up, pull up, says, as can be heard on the recorder, shut up, gringo, and turns off the alarm. And they crash into the side of a mountain. What we've done in our culture And what we've even done within our our Christian culture is we've gotten really good at ignoring the call and the warning of the Spirit. Pull up. Pull up. And we push it away, and we refuse it, and we reject it, and God is saying, it's trouble. It's trouble. Right now, as God's speaking to you, as the Spirit convicts you, will you respond? Or will you just try to shut it out? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.